Welcome to the Business of Security podcast brought to you by TrustMap for security performance management. Your hosts today are Chad Beckman and Malcolm Harkins. Today they talk with Ben Johnson, co-founder and CTO of Obsidian Security. Now let's get to it. Welcome to the Business of Security podcast. This is your host, Chad Beckman, and joining me as always is Malcolm Harkins. Today, we have our special guest, Ben Johnson. Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, Chad and Malcolm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I know I recently listened to your uh, live video chat with David Spark, and that's how we got acquainted. So I appreciate the opportunity for us to have a deep dive on SaaS security and more importantly, learning about you and your background, what you're doing today uh, with your current, current company. So uh, let's kick it off by getting started. Ben, give us a little history about kind of who you are, what you've done in your career to date, and what you're doing with Obsidian Security today. Sure. Yeah. So thanks again for having me. I, I would probably argue that SaaS security security is more interesting than 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 my background. But but uh, yeah. So uh, you know, um, was a computer science major. And uh, ultimately uh, saw the movie Enemy of the State with Gene Hackman and Will Smith and heard about this NSA thing. And back then it was kind of no such agency and wasn't in the press every single day like it is now. Ended up applying basically the next day and, and, and going there and, and working in the intelligence community from 2000 to 2007, uh, really in cyber. It wasn't really called cyber, more like CNO and, and, and other terms uh, back then. But uh, with Iraq and Afghanistan and everything else going on, you can imagine it was, it was like a high-paced, you know, very, uh, just, just very intense experience, which was awesome. It was, you know, just, just the time of our lives. And they paid us for it, right? So I was kind of hooked on on cybersecurity and you know attack versus defense and all these other things, and certainly can talk more. Uh, but after a while, I I, got, I did get a little tired of the polygraphs and you know the paperwork and and wanted to see some other things. Was living in D.C. and so ended up moving to Chicago and uh, ended up actually in the the financial world for a couple of years. I won't go too much into that because actually outside of security, had a great time there writing code for traders, but ultimately missed cybersecurity, missed that, you know, sort of, uh, again, like attack versus defense, you know, adversary, stop the bad guy kind of thing. And uh, ended up leaving the financial world to go back to to uh, cybersecurity and ended up being one of the guys that started uh, Carbon Black with my friend, Mike Viscuso and, and another guy, Mike Tanji. And uh, basically, we we were going into incident response engagements and saying, why is incident response still digital forensics, right? Like, why is everyone just imaging hard drives? We were coming at it from a fresh perspective because we were more on the offensive side of the house. So we were kind of new to incident response. And we said, why don't we just record everything and, and basically rewind the tape, right? And, and ultimately that technology and other, you know, other companies, other products, et cetera, all, all kind of jumped in as well. And uh, EDR, you know, endpoint detection and response, really grew out of that. And, and, and I think it was really taking a lot of concepts around continuous monitoring that network was already doing, right? You had net witness and all these other tools. It's like, why aren't we doing that on our hosts, on our endpoints? So 
ended up doing that and, and was the CTO there and, and ended up traveling the world, talking to customers and partners and just getting a really, really good time actually becoming uh, more of an extrovert. I'm, I'm truly an introvert, but I had to play an extrovert. You know, I'm sure you guys know, know the drill um, where you have to go give talks and, you know, just do all sorts of things, go on TV, et cetera. Anyways, uh, around 2000, uh, end of 2016, I uh, ended up um, saying, you know, this is fun. It's been, you know, about seven year run with Carbon Black and about 800 people. Uh, I want to get back to, to square one. I want to build again and, and, you know, pick a different part of the tech stack. Uh, and so I, I happened to run into uh, to Glenn Chisholm and, and Matt Wolf, who were, you know, Malcolm's uh, old buddies, uh, you know, still buddies, I'm sure. You know, and we said, "Hey, let's do something new and let's focus on cloud." And 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 so we we ended up starting a new company called Obsidian Security. I'm now the CTO here, and uh, what we're trying to do is is apply that similar continuous security monitoring approach, but now to SaaS, right? Because we went out and talked to tons of organizations when we were getting started, and they all said, "Like, I don't know what's going on in these SaaS accounts." security might not even have access, right? Like HR or sales or other parts of the company might be the ones running Salesforce or Office 365, et cetera. Yet I'm supposed to mitigate risk. How does that work? Right. <laughs> and uh, certainly can go into details. And, and then certainly with, um, with COVID and everything else, I mean, SaaS kind of saved everyone's butts, right? I mean, we're on Zoom, we're using cloud-based file storage or whatever it is. And so, yeah, now we're about uh, 55 people in Southern California and, you know, just trying to, to do something great again. So that's, that's me in a very, I don't know if it was short or long, but that's, that, that's my history up till, uh, up till today. That's a great summary. And, you know, I know we, Ben, you and I spoke about other security leaders, perhaps getting the itch to start their own uh, business, maybe pursue their own entrepreneurial journey. Do you have any uh, advice for folks in that camp and uh, maybe some things that they should consider or think about uh, before or as they leap into that journey? Yeah. So this is actually something that I'm, I'm quite passionate about uh, is the whole like entrepreneurial journey and everything it takes. And, and what I've seen is I, I you know, you, I think you see a lot of people come out of intelligence community who have done some really amazing things. And they're like, Hey, I want to start something new, right? I, you know, maybe had some great success sort of behind classified doors or whatever, but I want to, you know, turn that into commercial success. Or you see like CISOs and other, you know, executives within maybe larger companies have had to really become a business leader, right? I mean, it's not just a technical person that becomes a CISO, like, and I'm sure you guys can talk to this better than I can. And, and you do talk about this. I, I, I read your guys' stuff. But, uh, you know, when you have to become a business leader to help give security that seat at the table, then, then you start to say, well, why don't I start a business? Or why is nobody in the vendor space solving this problem? Maybe I should go do it and raise money and that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I think... Um, I think first of all, if people want to do it, my my recommendation is is give it a shot. You know, take that leap. Uh, secondly, I'll say it's hard, <laughs> so you have to really, really want to do it, and it's a multi-year journey. So often, you know, five, ten years minimum, um, but you really have to want to do it. And the other thing is, even if you don't want to start something yourself, there's lots of opportunity to join you know, five people, 10 people, 50 people, whatever it is, you don't have to go to a 10,000 person org. You can go to, you know, still very early stage companies and and get a lot of the same uh, lessons learned or have the same level of impact and maybe not have to go from square one where you have no money and no fundraising and anything else. So it really depends on where you want to start the journey. Uh, but I think there's a lot that people don't understand about the fundraising process and, you know, finances and legal and all these other things, which I actually went back and taught for a couple of years, uh, entrepreneurship in a computer science department at, at University of Chicago, because I said, hey, guys, like, 
all these computer science grads graduate. Yeah, they can write code or do networking or whatever, but like they don't know anything about equity. They don't know anything about selling, marketing, you know, what's a business plan, what's a sales deck, a pitch deck, you know, all these other things. So I actually had a really fun time teaching uh, uh, graduate students in that. But um, yeah, I think really, you know, take a shot if you, if you feel it, uh, know that it's a lot of work. Um, there's a lot of help out there. People like all, all of us on this call, I'm sure would, you know, give our advice, opinions, uh, anything we can do to help people. But uh, yeah, I think there's still lots of opportunity despite all the vendors out there and everything. There's still a lot of opportunity to go start your own company. Yeah. Well said, you know, I know Malcolm, you're certainly on the path and uh, it's your second time around really in a startup. I feel like I've reinvented our company three different times now. Uh, the latest rendition being the last five years, building TrustMap as a SaaS platform. And so it is a lot of work. You hit the nail on the head, Ben, when you said, you know, expect a five to 10 year journey. And it's a ton of work. If you think being a CISO is working 60 to 70 hours a week, you know, being an entrepreneur is really no different than that. How just you just, apply just a different type of incident response, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Am I going to make payroll? <laughs> Am I going to meet my mortgage? How do I fund the new business cards and the new logo design that I need? Yeah, totally different decisions at first, at first. So thanks for sharing that, Ben. Uh, it's great insight. Is there any other resources that people might be able to look up uh, regarding the topic of entrepreneurship, particularly in cybersecurity? Yeah, so uh, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of content produced by uh, venture capital firms, right? I mean, they're trying to, to encourage, of course, right? They want to see as many deals as possible come across their desk. Uh, and then a lot of early stage companies tend to now publish about their culture or choices they've made and, you know, other things. And then there's also some Slack uh, communities as well. I'm sure there's other other mediums as well, but, you know, there's, there's these Slack communities that are trying to encourage future founders and connect them to people that have done it multiple times or, you know, exist CISOs and other people that can give product feedback and, you know, that kind of thing. So I would say, um, you know, network, 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 just go out and talk to as many people as you can, and you will find more resources than you can take advantage of. I concur with that also. It's amazing how getting to know one or two people opens up doorways to a whole network of individuals that have similar mindset and interests and resources uh, to help out. Um, I call it at times sort of casual market intelligence gathering as well. What's hot, what's not, what's trending. Um, maybe what was trending six months ago isn't trending today. Uh, those sorts of conversations. Very good. Well, as we kind of, you know, dig into to the conversation a little bit more, uh, you know, I know SaaS security is near and dear to uh, all three of us here on the call because as before we started recording, I mentioned that we're all in a SaaS company at some layer or another. And if we think about, and Ben, you indicated this kind of on your introduction, how during the last year in 2020 with the COVID pandemic, the work from home, uh, SaaS really became a savior, right? For a lot of companies that maybe previously were not ready to be fully remote. They soon became fully remote through the use of SaaS solutions. Uh, what have you seen in a, in 2020 specifically, and maybe what leading a trend will we see early here in 2021 from a SaaS security perspective? What are customers asking for? Where are their biggest concerns or perhaps most common risks related to moving to a SaaS environment? Sure. 
I would love to hear your all's perspective as well, but I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a huge book nerd around leadership, teamwork, you know, those kinds of kind of business books or self-improvement books. And I was watching uh, a webinar by uh, David Marquette, a Navy captain, uh, the other day, and he wrote Turn the Ship Around and wrote uh, Leadership as Language, which I f- loved, phenomenal book. Um, and he was saying how he was uh, advice, you know, he does a lot of, you know, consulting, management, consulting, business, consulting, leadership, consulting. And he was talking to a company and they said, we just did this massive study and it said in, in, uh, you know, two years, this is January. So about a year ago, right? January, 2020, two years from now, we will be able to handle 30% of the company remote, you know? <laughs> and then about three weeks after they fin, or, uh, maybe, maybe it was like, uh, about six weeks after they finished that study, lockdown happened. And they got 100% of the company in five days, right? <laughs> so we have these like kind of artificial, uh, artificial, you know, sort of timelines. But the point is like, we all had to shift very rapidly. Now, some of us small, you know, we're 50 people, we're, you know, emerging tech company, early stage company, that kind of thing. Um, we were already pretty well suited for remote. I mean, we basically have MacBook Pros, SaaS and, and some, you know, AWS. And, that, and that's our whole company and everything has a Zoom meeting. But I think all these other companies, they said, we got to shift and we got to shift quick, right? And so what we saw was IT or security first and foremost dropped security for a little bit, quite frankly, and just pitched in with like the sandbags, you know, and helped IT, you know, mail out iPhones and do all sorts of other stuff, you know, get people online, get productivity going. And then come like April or May, then they said, okay, now we have to step back and figure out what's our surface area. How did we defend this and all this other stuff? And then what we saw is really, you know, this, this realization that, hey, um, and I'm, you know, I'm quoting a friend here, but hey, like SaaS is outsourced IT. It's not outsourced risk, right? At least big portions of SaaS. Yeah, maybe you don't have to patch Linux anymore or something, but uh, it's still your people being given access, putting your data in there, all these other things. Um, so we got to figure out what we have, what do we do about it? How do we figure out the sort of procurement cycle so that we don't just explode without security knowing about it? We already have a disconnect. And so we saw a lot of people waking up to to overall just uh, security concern for cloud and for SaaS. And then we saw a couple other trends. We saw uh, external adversaries, you know, attackers say, hey, wait a minute, like everything's moved to cloud, so we're going to, you know, attack cloud now. And we saw companies say, you know what, I'm actually quite concerned about insider threat because I just feel like I have a less of a control over my company. And, you know, unfortunately in 2020, there were, were a lot of layoffs for certain companies and things. So they're kind of concerned what data is flowing out and that kind of thing. Um, and then finally, as if it wasn't crazy enough, SolarWinds <laughs> came through with like the, the knockout punch and said, oh, by the way, not only they got in through on-prem and through, you know, some of these other mechanisms, but really they're trying to abuse some of these authentication and, you know, kind of credentials of Office 365 or other areas to kind of persist in and read email and those kinds of things. And that just like poured gasoline on the concern of like, okay, who has admin access? What are people doing? How are all these systems connected? Who has API tokens to pull data? So I could go on and on as I'm sure you can tell, but it was a crazy year, I think is the way to summarize it. And it really, I think, woke up everybody to, uh, to, to security concerns of, of cloud and of SaaS. Yeah, well said, especially, you know, the part about how do we take 30% over two years rollout to remote workforce and condense that down into 30 days, essentially, is what occurred. Fascinating. We're going to look back on 2020 
And uh, all the decisions we made as a society and think, wow, that was a great idea. That was amazing that happened. And what were we thinking over here on this and that? It'd be quite interesting 10 years from now, looking back, uh, hindsight being what it is. Malcolm, uh, what are your thoughts? Ben actually highlighted a couple of things that I immediately thought about you and what you're working on today. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, um, right? You put all that together and, and certainly with the solar winds thing, trust has become the attack surface. Do I trust the user? Do I trust the credentials? Do I trust the software I'm running in my stack? Which then gets back to, again, if it's software as a service, you know, how information security and product security are intertwined and inextricably linked, which unfortunately most tech companies have been ignorant on to some extent, you could say intentionally, because they kept them separated. You know, so it, I think Ben hit it, you know, the nail on the head. And then I think the other thing, you know, when you think about it, and, and Ben, you mentioned leadership and stuff like that, somebody's saying they're going to take two years to do something. It's that big enterprise programmatic thing versus a, a level of possibility thinking with a sense of urgency. And, you know, as soon as you have uh, an imminent issue, an acute pain point, all of a sudden, the things that, that precluded you from doing things in the past are no longer there. It's like one of the things that I've, I've shared as a story in, in, in how risk organizations sometimes impede the business, hence my protect to enable taglines. You'd think, think back that, you know, 15, 16 years ago, and we were the executives at Blockbuster, and we were worried from a risk perspective, a PCI perspective, um, intellectual property protection of, of streaming, you know, movies and, and media. And that kept us in a brick and mortar business that is no longer in existence. It's possible that their, their paradigm was blocked and then they were so worried about the risk issues and now they long, no longer exist. So, you know, again, Software as a service enabled the Netflix, the Amazon movies, what's now Disney Plus, HBO Max, and all that stuff. So again, I think it's interesting to think about it, reflect back, and then go, how do I not perpetuate this level of repetitive motion versus progress? And it's also one of the reasons why I've always said that the security teams need to be the first people taking the risk, because if they're the risk managers, they should be the risk takers. And if you're running to the risk issues and you're the first one there, you'll be able to sort it before the rest of the other business gets there. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Being a leader on many levels, including taking the first hit, I think is, is, is the way to summarize what you just said there. But Ben, how do you help companies or what are you seeing partnering with certain organizations in kind of maybe, uh, you know, stepping in front and taking the first punch for them? When it comes to uh, what Malcolm described, well, yeah, I think there's a there's a couple different areas to maybe unlock in those those comments of yours, Malcolm. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think when we when we look at organizations, I mean, we're coming in to you know provide technology. We're you know a product company, a technology provider, and we're we're trying to help really advance or accelerate the security team to kind of catch up to now, right? I mean, a lot of times business is like, oh, I got a credit card. I'm going to sign up for this SaaS thing for marketing or sales and not even tell anyone about it. And the security is like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, but uh, so much of us grew up in the like endpoint or network monitoring world, this whole like cloud and different, uh, you know, security logs, event logs, everything else 
what are IOCs and SaaS or these other things, right, is, is, is kind of new. And so, you know, you do need those opportunities where you can kind of leap forward or, or, you know, accelerate quickly. I think the other thing is companies are still trying to figure out how best to assess the SaaS providers when they're going through the procurement process, right? And, and I'll, I'll give you an example of, of us. Um, we were adding a, something, it was more of a more of a backend system. It wasn't really in our product. It was just to help our, you know, kind of corporate side uh, execute. And we got pretty far down the process, basically to the point where we were kind of all in from a value perspective. And then we realized they didn't even offer MFA. And it's like, you don't even, you almost don't even think to ask about that. Cause it's like how <laughs> in 2020, this is 2020, how do you even like not offer MFA? Right. Um, and so I think there's, there's still, still some challenges there. And then, you know, with, with solar winds and everything, like I think companies are trying to figure out like, okay, how do I still enable our team to move faster? Some of these companies are trying to move faster, right? Not just status quo, but like faster. And yet, I'm trying to figure out like what's the security posture of all these companies and there's really no standard. Yeah, there's SOC 2 or ISO or other things, but that's just compliance and that's just like a point in time snapshot and trying to figure out that you at least have some maturity, but it doesn't necessarily say whether or not you're great at doing, you know, threat what's, remediation and stuff like that. So what yeah. about the difference between a 200 question spreadsheet and a 400 question spreadsheet? Can I be more <laughs> secure if I'm answering 400 questions? About 30 hours of work, having responded to many of those. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess you get more in the details in the weeds, but uh, <laughs> I'll let you guys uh, think about that. The confidence level doesn't necessarily go up with more questions being asked. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I do think, by the way, I do agree with some of the um, the stuff you just said, Malcolm, which is like security is if they're risk managing, they do have to be one of the risk taking or risk loving, I guess you could say, where, you know, you do have to take a shot with some maybe earlier tech or be the first one to try out, you know, the upgrade or, you know, things like that. And, you know, really, really be that uh, front line, both, both sort of attack and defense, right. Of, of going after things. And, and uh, I think we're, we're starting to see that we're starting to see um, a lot of organizations where security is trying to move more quickly and be a little bit more entrepreneurial and, you know, sort of stitch different things together and less of a massive like multi-year program that moves very slow and is very calculated. You still need some of that, but, um, you know, definitely trying to uh, use more emerging tech or just, you know, try new things more quickly. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it, it allows us to kind of go full circle in part of your introduction talking about being an entrepreneur. So I'll mention this to our listeners. If there are security leaders out there in the industry, you're listening to this podcast and you kind of have an itch to be part of the startup community and uh, forge new paths or create, you know, be a part of participating in creating new solutions in the industry. Sometimes there's no better way to do that than sitting in the exact chair you're in today. Maybe you're a CISO of a company, you're running their security program, uh, whatever type of title you might be wearing, but you're in that role of owning the security posture, team up with innovative solutions that are number one, hungry for customer feedback. And you have the ability to perhaps join an advisory board or be a customer advocate. And that product company will very likely take a lot of your suggestions and build it into the product because likely those are good ideas that not just you will benefit from as a customer, but their future customers will as well. And that's a nice way to add some innovation 
to a product that you don't necessarily need to be employed by or create yourself, but can participate in as part of the community. Um, so that's, I know something that we at TrustMap truly believe in, you know, and we're, we are on Rev4 of our product and we still get great feedback from our customers. I call it kind of the conversation customer engagement life cycle. Just another way to participate and, and be very entrepreneurial in our industry for sure. You know, I'll, I'll kind of mention something when we t- are on the topic of SaaS security, particularly onboarding and vendor responses and understanding, are we getting what we should out of this uh, engagement? Are they securing our product? Are they securing our environment? Because I always put the hat of our biggest customers on when we engage new vendors. And I need to be able to go back to my biggest customers who have the most scrutiny in almost every case and with confidence, be able to tell them that, yes, we are meeting X, Y, and Z requirements. And so are any vendors that we are using uh, because it's all the domino effect. We've seen it so many times over the last dozen years uh, about how our vendors can become the weakest point. And there's no, I'm not going to sit here and try to answer the big question about how do you do it securely? What's the most efficient way? That's almost something that can't be solved. And there's not almost, there's not one answer to every scenario either. Um, but I will say, you know, our team internally is, is very security minded. So for me, having a group of people on our team that are always looking at ways to secure our customers' data, secure our own data, um, and be very diligent on where that information might reside has been a continuous enforcement uh, cycle uh, we, we, where we are keeping ourselves honest and transparent with our customers. And that helps me as the person that has to sometimes sign off on these items uh, sleep much better at night as well. So by nature, because we are a security company, we've recruited and we've hired people that have been practitioners in this industry for quite some time. And uh, not every startup has that capability or you know, has that type of resource pool. So lean on advisors, I would advise you uh, listeners that are in that camp uh, to be that source of uh, thought and wisdom on your behalf. And there are many folks out there, retired CISOs, current practicing CISOs that are more than willing to uh, be that advocate and, and share that uh, knowledge that they have on making the right decisions at the right time. Chad, to kind of add into that and on the third party stuff, I was uh, doing a peer wine and wisdom thing with a few of us a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we were just chatting and post solar winds and the whole you know, third party risk management stuff came up kind of like we were just talking about. You know, one of the things that I mentioned to folks um, that I've always done, and, and I certainly did it at Intel, I did it at Silence, I'm doing it at Cymatic, is having a relationship with the suppliers that are critical to your main risks as a company. You know, when I was at Intel, you know, I, I knew, uh, you know, who the CISA was at Cigna, right? Because they were a health insurance provider to the company. I knew who the CISA was at Applied Materials. Why? Because they sold stuff into manufacturing and it was critical for intellectual property. And so I would, I would maintain personal relationships with suppliers because I, the questionnaire was the check the box stuff. I wanted to know the person and know that if they had a problem, they could call me and confidentially before anything else happens, I'm aware I can start mitigating risk and I'm not going to out them and I can help them as well. And I did the same thing at Silence. I'm doing the same thing at, at Cymatic. 
And just being able to have that type of relationship creates a level of trust that, that transcends the, the paperwork and the legal stuff. So I would encourage anybody, you know, particularly, you know, looking at, at companies, again, this is where you get back to innovative, fast-moving startups and, and the leadership and the people connection that I know we're all used to versus the bigger entrenched set in their ways, dated architectures that have been perpetuated out there for, for a long time that we're all trying to break because why? They're not working, right? Good luck trying to get a, a discussion with their chief privacy officer or their chief security officer. And, and, and I would bet you money, they probably don't even have an integrated role for all of that stuff in many cases. So, you know, again, that, that's a, a better way, I think, of establishing real trust. And I know, you know, from, from uh, you know, the folks I know at Obsidian and, and uh, you know, Chad, knowing you and sitting on your board, that's, and, and knowing myself, that's how we're doing it. And I think that's also what differentiates us in the marketplace. Yeah, well said, Malcolm. If we pivot a little bit here and, and think about, you know, if I'm looking for solution X, how do I begin to even determine, and solution X being a SaaS product, okay, just going to preface that because it's a topic of our discussion. Uh, how do I even begin to sort of peel the onion back and determine, you know, this is a viable player that's going to secure my data. Um, and Malcolm, to your point, establishing the relationship, certainly. Uh, you also highlighted, you know, contracts. Leo will want to have their certain T's crossed and I's dotted in that agreement as well. SLA goes with it. But is there anything else related to it that is maybe not obvious to people that uh, either one of you have identified sort of as a nuanced item that actually is an indicator for how well managed that SaaS company is and, and how well, they may treat the privacy of data, the confidentiality of the information, and so on. Sure, I'll uh, I'll take a quick shot, uh, and uh, you know I think it it starts with with what Malcolm just said around relationships, you know, um, and uh, as soon as you said the word relationship, I'm like, well, that's also a big part of the earlier conversation of how do you get into, you know, starting your own company or anything, you know, cybersecurity, I think is such a good community where we all cherish our relationships. And, you know, it's just a very kind of, um, you know, personhood type of, you know, mentality of we're all, we're all trying to do this together and, you know, stop the adversaries and avoid burnout and all the other things. One thing that's tough is sometimes we're not all as organizations vocal about the technology we use, right? Because you, you don't want to necessarily say, here's my list of every product a company uses. Like, hey, Mr. Adversary, go after it, right? <laughs> so there's always some, you know, sort of uh, something withheld. But I think when you get into those trusted circles or your, you know, friendships or whatever, you know, say, like, hey, what did you pick for this HR system or this tool? And then, of course, on the security tooling itself, you know, what what do you recommend on cloud, you know, network endpoint, SaaS, whatever? And, um, you know, so I think just saying why, you know, why did you go with this? How did you go with this, et cetera? And then, you know, what we found is you have to figure out the default standards, like by default, where does your data live? Is it flowing through, you know, countries you don't want it flowing through? Is it encrypted? There's some of that stuff. But then it's also like, how responsive are they? If you accidentally put something very sensitive and you need to make sure that the, you know, the uh, file sharing company or whatever will delete your data permanently from all backups and everything else, like how responsive are they? How, how responsive are they required to be versus reality? How responsive are they? And another example is with the SolarWinds stuff, you know, we quickly just wanted to get a, a sense of our exposure, right? Fortunately, I think we're in a really good place, but we, we pinged every vendor we have and some were 
very quick. <laughs> and some, I think, to this day have probably still not replied, right? Um, and so, you know, just trying to get a sense of if you need them, if you need help, how, you know, how much pain or how, how easy will it be to get that help? So I think that's been a lesson learned is just, you know, kind of how fast on the sort of customer side are they? And especially if you need to reach someone higher up, which I think you were talking about, Malcolm, too, is like if you need to talk to their, their full on CISO or privacy officer or whatever, you know, I'm not saying you can call them directly right now if I've never met you, but like how easy is it to get to that place? Right. So I do think there's some lessons learned there. Ben, one other thing you talked about that, Malcolm, I'd kind of like to get your perspective on and what you've seen over the last, over the past year in 2020 was about insider uh, threat and uh, being with at maybe some companies experiencing attrition, being having to now trust their users working remote and accessing data, maybe even on personal devices. What, if any, trends has there been with the insider threat or perhaps another layer of, let's say, authentication or data protection uh, that has maybe occurred over these last 12 months? Well, I, you know, I think some of it is a perceived increase in insider threat because somebody's working from home and it's, and it's really a context shift Right. Because you go, uh, you know, why would somebody steal something or do something? Right. There's a couple general reasons. Right. They have issues at home. They've got issues at work. You know, they got a financial you know, thing. So there's, you know, the motivations, you know, for for that, just like somebody, you know, um, physically, you know, um, doing harm in the workforce or something like that. There's triggers to it. They're they're different, but similar. And I think if if the context of the work environment, you've got a great place to work and your managers are well-trained and they're not idiots and assholes treating people poorly and, and stuff like that, you're going to suss out some of those issues, but that doesn't you know, negate, obviously, the, the nation state or somebody that's with organized crime that has different motives and stuff. So I think you know, it's really the context shift that's been different now. You, you throw into it the chaos that we've seen in the U.S. recently, that could actually create a dynamic shift in the insider risk because of the political um, climate in the U.S. And depending upon the public policy positions of management, that could incite some insider activities. That's interesting perspective. And basically what you said is, look, the threat of insider threat has not changed. Uh, the reasons or the motives are still there. It's just a matter of the context is, might be slightly different. Without the instrumentation that we've probably grown up with in our traditional enterprise, you're blind to it in the cloud. So that also exacerbates your feeling of uncertainty, right? Because you don't have that instrumentation anymore. So do you rely on your SaaS provider to give you the insight that you need? I mean, at what point, uh, you know, do you have to cobble together a bunch of strings to, to get the view if you've now... No different in the, the, the traditional client server stack with data centers. My Intel days, there's a person that went to a couple of years in federal prison that stole a few hundred million dollars of intellectual property from Intel's 2006, 2007, public information, you know, and again, we instrumented from that learning even more so that we could go into the various applications that had different access and control and different data centers and all that stuff, right? The cloud, you know, and again, I, Ben's probably better at describing this than me, 
it's the con it's again a technology shift and a context shift and an architectural shift. It's just because that that SaaS stuff moved as people were just learning how to do insider risk detection on their on-prem stuff. Now the target moved, right? And and so, you know, again, the security team was shooting behind the curve again rather than being out in front of it. Yeah, classic example. That's a lesson they teach you if you go trap shooting, by the way. Don't shoot where the where the clay has been, shoot where it's going to be. Exactly. <laughs> ben, anything you'd like to leave our audience today? Well, first of all, thank you both, Malcolm and, and Chad. This has been great. Uh, I think, you know, it's a lot of what we're talking about is is the shared responsibility model. And half of it is is the vendor doing their, you know, are they being responsible? But the the more forgotten half, at least up until this point, has been your company still has to do risk mitigation. You still have to understand who has access, what devices are being used, what data is in there, what data is being shared externally and that kind of thing, right? And, you know, I think that's what, what we help with is we just give you that picture across, you know, pick a bunch of apps, Workday, Salesforce, Office 365, Slack, et cetera where you get a perspective of like, oh, okay, here's all the people that have, first of all, access. And then here's all the people that have privileged access, like above regular users. By the way, everyone who installs basically finds some, you know, legal intern that was there three years ago that somehow still has, you know, super admin in Salesforce or whatever. It's it's pretty much without fail, you find those things, right? Those hidden gems, we can call them. Uh, and then it's about like behavior and stuff. Like are people, you know, installing all sorts of third-party apps, granting API tokens, you know, syncing data to devices you didn't know about and, you know, all that. And then of course, you're always on the lookout for, you know, signs of compromise, suspicious activity from overseas or from, you know, VPNs or other things that maybe aren't really uh, expected in your environment. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, just hoping that uh, organizations uh, take it seriously and, and are, you know, addressing some of these concerns and would love them to address it with us. But uh, regardless, just hope that, you know, people realize that, uh, you know, they have half of that responsibility model as well when it comes to cloud. Great summary. Thank you, Ben. How would people get a hold of you? So uh, our website is obsidiansecurity.com. Uh, we're on Twitter as at ObsidianSEC, uh, ObsidianSec. We have LinkedIn. Uh, I am uh, at Chicago Ben on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, we're, we're here to help. And uh, whether it's just, you know, kind of nerding out on entrepreneurship and security, or it's actually a vendor, you know, relationship with, a, with an organization, we'd, we'd love to chat. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Good discussion today, Ben. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Hey. Thanks, both of you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Business of Security podcast brought to you by TrustMap. We want to hear from our listeners. If you have a topic you'd like to discuss in the podcast or would like to continue the conversation, please connect with us on Twitter at CyberSecPodcast or email us at businessofsecurity at trustsds.com. We want to extend a special thank you to today's guest, Ben Johnson. Our hosts today were Chad Beckman, founder of TrustMap, and Malcolm Harkins, Chief Security and Trust Officer at Cymatic. You can connect with both Chad and Malcolm on LinkedIn and learn more about TrustMap at TrustMap.com. You can find out more about Malcolm and Cymatic at Cymatic.io. Our show was produced by Dan Rollins with Livewire Films. You can connect with Dan on LinkedIn and learn more about Livewire at LivewireFilms.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Business of Security podcast. And that's a wrap.